couple of, last couple of days, um, Timotheus was asked to go and clean um, some of the things in his room and so forth, and he was on, on the rocking horse. And um, as soon as he got off, his brother hopped on, and, uh, and then he looked like this, because obviously when he finished cleaning up, he wanted to come back on the rocking horse. And uh, he was disturbed and couldn't clean properly, came up to me. He said, Dad, is there anything in the Bible that says that if I get off the rocking horse to clean, can I get back on? And I thought to myself, I said, son, I said, the Bible says to prefer one another. That's what the Bible says. And, um, and I began to think about it, how, you know, we need to be very careful that we don't use the Bible for our advantage that way. Amen. The Bible's for our building. And um, explained a few things later on. I said to him, look, the Bible also says, honor your mother and your father. So when you clean your room, I'll tell your brother to get off and you can get back on. How about that? So anyway, it was um, something that I thought about. And today, and not in any way, I'm trying to use the Bible for my advantage. I want to build you up in the faith. I want you to know this. I care about you. And I want you to know truth. Uh, in in, in every, any which way it comes out, I just want you to know that I care about you. And I want you to grow in the faith. And if you're not here, if you're here and you're not saved, uh, my greatest desire, I know also this church's greatest desire is that you be saved. To know him is to know life eternal. And so that's our greatest desire for you as well. Let's look at eight, uh, 11, Luke 8, verse 11. Now the parable is this. Jesus now explains the parable of the sower or the soil. He says, the seed is the word of God. So those seed which is thrown on the different kind of soils, it's the word of God. And he then explains in verse 12, those by the wayside are they that hear, and cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. In verse 13, they on the, on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation, what happens? They fall away. Look at verse 14. And they which fell among thorns are they which, when they hear, have heard, sorry, go forth, and are choked with the cares and the riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection. And look at verse 15. But that on the good ground are they, which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Now the four soils picture the different conditions of the heart and their responses to the gospel seed. The parable only proves the reality of the various responses to the word of God and we see that take place very clearly today the way people respond to the word of God they respond differently uh, we looked at four different things last week of course from the parable the first we looked at the heart of the wayside the heart condition of the wayside which didn't really fall on the soil it fell on the wayside and these are people that are careless a heart that is careless don't really want to hear let alone believe with their heart really don't want to know at all and so the devil quickly uh, you know takes away uh, the very thing which they heard and runs with it because they're very indifferent about the word of God and then with second heart condition uh, we spoke uh, we put this out of order for the sake of focusing on the stony soil but we looked at the thorny soil this is a heart that is consumed with the pleasures or the riches of this life the Bible calls it in another parable deceitful lusts and the word of God chokes Ah, sorry, the, the cares of this life chokes the word of God. So therefore it cannot bear fruit. Um, they're taken away or consumed by the pleasures of this life. And then we looked at the 
uh, stony soil. This is a heart that is a counterfeit. And the reason why I say this, and I, because they profess in the beginning, they profess and they receive the word of God with joy, but when the proving comes or the temptation testing comes, they fall away. And so there's no fruit because of uh, their a lack of continuing, if you will, in the word of God. And then we see, of course, the fourth soil, which is the good soil, a heart condition, which continues. This is a heart that continues, not only hears, uh, but embraces, believes, and therefore continues uh, to follow after the things of God. Last week, I focused more on the stony ground. And the reason why I focused more on the stony ground was to, just to pull out some things that I believe are a reality today. We see a lot of professions made today. And not only just professions, but we see some people even follow the Lord in baptism. And they go through, you know, some Bible lessons and so forth. And before you know it, they're gone. They're offended somehow, perhaps persecution. They're confronted by family or friends and they're not able to withstand the pressure. So they give in. Um, but not only this, perhaps there's a Bible truth that they're confronted if, with and they're not willing to let go. Whatever it is, they've been tested and they failed the test. The Bible says they fall away. And so to me, if that wasn't in there, I'd be so discouraged. I mean, it is already discouraging, isn't it? When you see someone go through the you know, motions and they fall away, it's discouraging. But what more you know, would have been discouraging if this wasn't here? Because then you reflect, what am I doing wrong? Because the gospel is presented, the truth of God's word is presented, you're discipling, you're praying, you're doing all that the Bible is telling you to do as a discipler or someone that cares as a sower, as a soul winner, you're doing everything, you're, you're preaching or declaring the pure, authentic gospel, you're not leaving anything out, it's not sugar-coated gospel, but yet they still fall away. Why? And so we determined last week there's nothing wrong with the seed, there's something wrong with the soil. And so we ought not to change the seed. We ought, and we ought to be careful with how we present the gospel and how we reach people. That goes without saying. And we need to be very careful that the Spirit of God helps us to always preach the truth with love and wrestle, contend with people with compassion. But in reality, even if you do those things and you're fully uh, controlled by the Spirit of God, led by God, preaching the whole counsel of God, it's a reality that people still fall away and there's nothing wrong with the seed but there's something wrong with the soil. But today I want to talk about the good soil, the good ground, and what it means to us as believers. This is the only one the Bible talks about that bore fruit. Uh, uh, you know, that's the one, is, one of the greatest distinctions between the other soils. Would you agree? No other soils bore fruit. As a matter of fact, there was no fruit under perfection. Nothing had taken place with the other for uh, three soils. Only this one, the Bible makes it very clear, and Jesus, through this parable, makes it evident that they brought forth fruit. And in the other parables, some 30, 60, 100. And so a Christian or a believer bears fruit. There must be fruit. A farmer who sows, sows seed uh, in the soil expects sometime along the way to see fruit. Now, no farmer goes out without desire to see some fruit. There's fruit. And uh, this means that the soil is good, the seed was able to work its purpose. And so there's nothing wrong with the seed, there's something wrong with the soil. And so we're going to look at this good soil, verse 8. Have a look at verse 8. He another fell on good ground and sprung up and bare fruit a hundredfold. And so have a look at verse 15. He explains what this means. They received it with an honest and good heart. Having heard the word, they kept it and bring forth fruit with patience. Now obviously this soil illustrates a heart.
that truly trusted on the seed or the word of God. The seed, remember the seed is the word of God and the gospel. They truly embraced it. They trusted it. And uh, so I want to I draw a little bit more detail from the other parables. Go to Mark 4, verse 20. <clears throat> How they trusted the word of God. We just see a little bit more detail from the other parables. And look at verse 20, Mark 4, verse 20. Notice what the Bible says there. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as what? Hear the word, and they receive it and bring forth fruit. All right? To receive it is to accept it. It's not to reject it. And uh, to receive it with your whole heart. Always remember, this is a soil that receives it with their whole heart, not with just receiving it. Remember the stony ground, they received it with joy. But nothing took place. Uh, at least inside, nothing had taken place. Outwardly, while they come into church, perhaps reading their Bible, or you know, uh, getting baptized, there's outward, outward expressions uh, that we could perhaps indicate there is some sort of working in their heart. But over here, we're going to find out that this is a work of God inside a heart that you know, works out. It's not just an outward work of religion. Okay, Sometimes profess, professing religious which I was for about 24 years, just works outward, external, religious activity, but there's no work, there's no transformation in the heart. Okay, and so we're going to see this a little later on. But the Bible says, and by the way, receiving the Word of God is connected with believing the Word of God. John says, but as, uh, you know, he came to his own and his own received him, but as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that what? believe on his name and so receiving the word of God has to do with believing the word of God and when you believe the word of God with all your heart you become born again you become a child of God God gives you that power God gives you that authority but it must be received with all your heart um, I don't want you to turn there for the sake of time because so many scriptures we need to turn to today but just for the sake of time just listen first Thessalonians 2 verse 13 Paul says to them for this cause also thank God thank we God without ceasing why because he says this, when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. So you have received it as the word of God as truth, and so therefore it worked in your heart when you believed it. Okay, so that's the difference between the stony soil, right? Who knows what they believed and, and how they believed and with their head or not with their heart or just the word of man. But over here we see this church believed the truth as it is, the word of God with their heart. And so therefore it worked effectually in their life when they received it. Now go back to Matthew chapter 13 and we'll see another uh, perhaps a little bit more detail. Matthew 13. <clears throat> and look at verse 23. The Bible says, but he that received it into the good ground is he that heareth the word and then what? Understandeth it. So over here we have an understanding heart, a heart that considers, a heart that comprehends, listen, a heart that is open by the truth and a heart that is for the truth. Big difference. Uh, Paul says to Timothy that we ought to pray for all men that they'll come to the knowledge of the truth. And so these here understand it. They come to the knowledge of the truth and then they're made wise. Paul said to Timothy, from a child that has known the Holy Scriptures, which is able to make thee what? Wise unto salvation. Not only this, through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All right, so the understanding 
uh, compared to the first soil, they, un they, they didn't understand it. Well, you know, that perhaps gives us an indication they don't want to understand the truth. They have a heart to know the truth. They were closed off to the truth. They were hard to the truth. Over here, they're open. Perhaps it's similar to the illustration that God gives us with Lydia. The Lydia's account, how God opened her heart. And, uh, or perhaps the illumination of the Holy Spirit. They, they were illuminated, perhaps because the light in which they, were see, that they received, they obeyed or they, uh, you know, believed. And so we see very clearly here, they understood it. Almost, you can say, the penny dropped. All right, they understood it. But even more, they believed it. As we see, they received, they understood, and uh, go back to Luke 8. A little bit more detail here. Luke 8. <clears throat> Look at verse 15 again. But that on the good ground are they, which in an, an honest and good heart, having heard the word. Firstly, let's be clear here that this is not talking about a person that has a good heart or they are good people. It's not talking about that at all. As a matter of fact, the Bible says it very clear in Romans chapter 3, there is none righteous, not, not, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But it's actually talking about their, you know, re, their attention or their adhere to the word of God. They're, they're sincere, they're genuine. It says it very clearly here, which in our honest and good heart, having heard the word, their reception, their attention to the word of God. Uh, there was no, you know, distractions, if you will. They weren't dull of hearing. They weren't hard to the dream. There weren't anything just, you know, kind of ch choking the word. There weren't any worldly pleasures in the way. They were removed. The cares of this life were removed. Perhaps they didn't perhaps, uh, even think for themselves that what, what other people thought about them if they came to the Lord. Well, that's happened to me anyway. When I, when I heard the gospel, there was no, let me say, distractions whatsoever. The Spirit of God used the Word of God in my heart and didn't care about anything else but the truth that day. I didn't care about how people respond. I didn't even know how they would respond. I, you know, I didn't care about how, what I would lose. I didn't even know what I would lose. <laughs> At that particular time, it was just me and God, and he showed me my sin, and I saw the Savior. It was just clear. And so we can say it like this. Once the seed is presented or the gospel is presented and the Spirit of God uses it in the heart of a person, and you're for truth and you're open ears and you're not resisting, and you're embracing, and you say, I want to hear more about this matter, and perhaps God gives it to you, and more, and illuminates you more, opens your eyes more. You know the, the, the blindfold, which Satan uh, blinds the eyes of those that believe not. Uh, through the gospel and by the power of the Holy Spirit, it is removed. It is removed. This is the only way that God helps us see through the gospel seed and the Spirit of God working together to show us our need. And so we understand it. We receive it. We can put all these together. All, all these together and with a genuine or a good understanding heart, we receive it. Listen, we keep it, we obey it, we believe on it. And the result of it is what? Fruit. Fruit. Did that take place? Perhaps in your heart, when the Spirit of God used the Word of God in your heart, you understood the gospel. God opened up your senses to see your need. You know, there's nothing cloudy about this. There's nothing shady about this. It's clear. And we don't know what takes place in the heart of people. 
when we, when we share the gospel, we really don't know what's taking place. But listen, God knows and guess who else knows? You know. I know. And so the word, there's nothing wrong once again with the seed. It's the condition of our hearts. Are people really wanting to hear the truth? Are they for the truth? Because Jesus makes it clear, and we'll look at, look at it later on. Jesus said, you shall know the what? The truth and the what? The truth shall make you free. And the church, he said to the Thessalonians, you believe the word of God as it was truth. And so there's, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. We should come to the knowledge of the truth. It's the truth that matters. It's the truth that needs to be embraced about the whole gospel. Jesus died for our sin. He was buried and rose again for our justification. What I know about that is I'm a great sinner in a nutshell. And he's a great saviour. And I believed on him and I embraced the gospel and I wanted Christ to be my saviour. No, there was no interference at all. It was clear. Now, the evidence of true salvation is fruit. So when you make some sort of decision... You know, some people even can say, oh, I've, I've repented, I've put my faith in Jesus Christ, but there's no, there's no fruit of that repentance. So when there's that decision made even of repentance and faith in Christ, listen, there ought to be fruit. You know, that little seed that begins to work in your heart at that moment, over time, generates some godly, godly things in your life. It's a, it's a work of God. It's the beginning of someone being born again. We can sum it, up like, sum it up like this. It is the fruit of a new life in Christ. And so there are many people today, they say they're Christians, they know the Lord, they even perhaps even carry a Bible like this under their arm, and they go to church, but there is no fruit. There's no fruit. And we, want, we say, okay, what, what is this fruit? Well, how does this fruit look like? But first of all, I want to say this. Do you agree that Christians should bear fruit. Because there are some people who say, you know, you don't really need fruit to prove your salvation. But it's not necessarily proving our salvation. This is not a mission statement to go out and try to mimic fruit to say, look, I'm saved. It happens when you get saved. That's what happens when a baby's born. They desire the sincere milk of the word and then what happens? They grow. There's a new nature, new desire in their heart for the things of God. And then we're going to see that again in, in Romans. But notice what Romans 7, 4, we'll turn to Romans later on, but don't turn, no, just listen to this. He says, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be, be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead. So we're dead to the law. We're married to the, another, Jesus Christ. We're not governed by the law. By the way, Keeping the law of God is not going to produce the fruit that God ordained for you to walk in before the foundation of the world. It's not going to do it. Number one, we are lawbreakers. We cannot keep the law. It's only through the Spirit of God in which we can keep anything that God tells us to do. But he says this. He says that even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. So any man, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things pass away. Behold, all things become new. That's his position. But his position is worked out. His salvation is worked out with fear and trembling. And, uh, and, and God's given us the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. 
Okay, and thank God for that. Uh, have a look at Colossians chapter 1. Have a look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We cannot, listen, bear fruit without Christ or without the Spirit of God. We cannot. Not true fruit, not long-lasting, not fruit that will remain. Anyone can be religious. Anyone can go and pray and give and go and, you know, go to a synagogue, mosque, church. Anyone, there's a lot of religious systems out there that, you know, have these. But this, you know, the fruit that we're looking at is completely different than outward or external practices of religion, Okay. So Colossians chapter 3, look at verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 3 to 6. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all saints. Now, we're going to look at that later on. That's one of the fruit, okay? The love that you have for all the saints. Verse 5, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of what? truth of the what gospel which is come unto you as it is in all, in all the world and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God in what truth that's a testimony of a church that brought forth fruit since the day they heard the gospel which, uh, the truth which is in the gospel all right so every christian would you agree would naturally start bearing fruit. Okay? When a person has a new life in Christ, there, there, there is this adamant, growing desire for the things of God. And I say growing desire only because the parable says that they bore fruit with patience, perseverance. So it takes time. They wrestle through some things. And we're not saying that the devil is not a reality. In the cares of this life for a Christian... Uh, is not a reality and even persecution and testings are not a reality but guess what by the grace of God and by the Spirit of God and by the, 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 the Holy Spirit that works in them through the Word of God they persevere with patience they run the race with patience and they bear fruit these, still, these things that try to hinder the word right from the beginning are still a reality in the Christian's life do you agree with that it's there in Scripture we see it take place but we will persevere with patience bearing fruit. We now can say no to sin and yes to the Savior because of the salvation that we have in Him. It bears fruit. Have a look at uh, Romans chapter 6. What are some of the fruit that is produced in our life of a true believer? First of all, I want to talk about the true holiness that comes from God. This is one of the fruit. True holiness. Romans chapter 6, look at verse 15. What then, shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Amen. This gives us a good indication that we're still able to sin but we shouldn't sin. Just because we're under grace doesn't mean we should continue in sin. Amen. God forbid. No. Verse 16. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked. I want you to see this language used here, and we're going to look at it in all other passages of Scripture as well, that ye were the servants of sin, 
but ye have obeyed from the what? Heart, that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. I believe the form of doctrine was the truth that was found in the gospel. He says, verse 18, this is what it's supposed to do. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of what? Righteousness. Verse 19, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members servants to uncleanliness, to iniquity, unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness, unto holiness, because you can. Because you're able to. Because of that seed. Because of the Holy Spirit or the incorruptible word of God that uh, brings about a regeneration through the spirit of God. In your, now you're able to say no to sin. And you're able to say yes to righteousness, which leads to holiness. Look at the verse, next verse, verse 20. For when ye were the servants of sin, were, we were a slave and servants to sin. We were free from righteousness. We didn't even know how to exhibit righteousness in its true essence. Because Jesus Christ was the end of the law, which is righteousness. He's our righteousness, that through him, that we are able to obey God and love God. Without him, we cannot. We were, we, at one particular time, we were dead to righteousness and we were alive to sin and we served the lust thereof. That's all we knew how to do. That's all. And we see today that some professing Christians are a slave still to their sin. And we say, why? Well, maybe, just maybe, something hasn't taken place in their heart. Now, I understand, and we're not talking about the context of backsliding. And when you look at a backslider, we wonder, we think, oh man, is this a true believer because he's producing, he's a slave to sin again, he's turned back to his vomit. But that's, you know, that's, at the end of the day, we're not talking about that and that's a reality, we do see that in the scripture. But what we're, ta what we're talking about is fruit is produced and there is a sense of freedom from sin and a servant to what is right because of who we've believed and the work of God in our heart. And so it produces righteousness, and at the end of that, holiness. Holiness. And we're going to see what holiness in reality means, but this is the work of God that takes place. We were once servants of sin. We were once free from righteousness. But look at verse 21. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. What fruit did you have? No fruit. As a matter of fact, the only fruit that sin brought forth is death, destruction. But notice the fruit that we have now because of Christ. He says, but now, look at this, verse uh, 22. Being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto what? Holiness and the end, everlasting life. And I would submit this to you. It's not only positional, but it leads to practical living. People always want to say it's positional, 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 but the Bible has a lot to say also regarding the, the working out, the practical. That's the, that's the whole point of regeneration, is that we're, only, we're not only saved from the very penalty of sin, but listen, we're saved from the power of sin in our lives. We can walk as victors in Christ, conquerors in Christ. Well, before that, we couldn't. We were a slave to sin. We loved it. There's a sense in the Christian life as we grow unto holiness, there's a sense of hatred towards sin. We don't want it in our lives. All right, let me, let me show you a few other examples. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6.
And look at verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And look at verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Okay, who are the unrighteous? Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, or infeminate, abusers of themselves of mankind, neither thieves, covetous, drunkards, nor revelers, extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And verse 11, and such were some of you. So in other words, this is how people live as unrighteous people. But he says here, very, such were some of you, but ye are what? Washed, but ye are sanctified. But you are justified in the name of the Lord and by the Spirit of God. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Don't want to labor too much on these verses here, but just quickly, just I want to point them out to you. Let's point out the language that he has for every believer. It is absolutely absurd to believe that if a Christian believes, uh, if a person believes on the Lord Jesus Christ and becomes a Christian, there ought to be no change in their life. It's absurd. Or if, would you expect someone that is, you know, um, uh, homosexual, do you, do you expect him, when he believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, do you accept, expect him to turn and say, okay, I want to go back to the way that God made me? Or do you think it's okay for him to stay in the way he is? God forgives. And, you know, no, God changes that person's heart and desire and realizes, hey, I've been living wrong. This is what repentance is all about, right? But it's not only a change of behavior. Anyone can change their behavior. A drunkard could go to AA and be, you know, a, no longer a drunkard. Uh, but that's not enough for that person to get to heaven. So it's not just a change of behavior. It's a miracle that takes place in a person's heart. By the way, that might not be your weakness. You might say, oh, you know, without Christ, I didn't even care for alcohol or cigarettes. Good on you. you. You were wise to say, I want to keep good health. Oh, we're not saying that you've got to put away these sins to be saved. But when you get saved, if you struggle with these sins, you put them away. That's the working of God in a person's heart. Does that make sense? That, that's what takes place. That's what should take place in a person's heart. You get saved, there's holy living begins to start, and you say, I don't want that sin in my life. That's how a person you once were. This is how you used to live. Have a look at Colossians 3 verse 5. It says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is what? Idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience. Look at verse 7. In the which ye also walked some time which ye lived in them. Okay? So Paul is acknowledging the fact that you used to live like this. But you can mortify and deaden or put to death the works of the flesh because of the Spirit of God. Walk in the Spirit of God and that shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Okay, you don't want to live like this anymore. Can you practice this? Can you fall into this? Yes. But you should mortify them. You used to live like this, but not anymore. But now, look at verse 8. But now, ye also put off these things. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Put them away. Have a look at Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. And look at verse 3. 
He says, for we ourselves were sometimes what? Foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures and living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. You, he says, we ourselves were also sometimes foolish. As a matter of fact, you back it up a couple of verses, he's basically saying have compassion on people because this is how you used to live. But after that, the Holy Ghost has come, uh, the kindness of God, our Saviour, verse 4, Toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of the regeneration, renewing of the Holy Ghost. Look at verse 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain what? Good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. And so, therefore, this is how a Christian ought to live. They ought to maintain good works, which is fruit as well, fruit bearing. Look at Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. Look at verse 6. Let no man deceive you with vain words. Because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not therefore partakers with them. Look at verse 8. For ye were sometimes darkness. But now ye are light in the Lord. This is who we are in Christ. But now look at, look, at what, look at the instruction for the outworking. Walk as children of light. This is who we are in the Lord. We are light and we should walk as children of light. Amen. So the fruit of holiness results in a growing hatred for sin and worldly lusts or pleasures. All right. So we're going to see this. 1 John 3, 9 says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Now that's, that's, that's a big statement. But he also goes on to say, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he's, he is born of God. So simply the Holy Spirit's role in our lives is to point out sin. The Holy Spirit, that seed or the Word of God that began in our life and worked through the Spirit of God in our life and regenerated us, that seed in our points in our lives, the Holy Spirit doesn't lead us to sin. The Holy Spirit you know, is the one that points sin in our lives. He's the one that really just nails it down and says, hey, you need to remove this. Uh, you need to get this out. I remember one time when uh, I was a babe in Christ, by the way, being a babe in Christ, you've got so much filth that God wants to clean out from my language to my living. Man, it was one after the other, one after the other, sometimes two at a time. God began to just clean, clean, and clean, and clean. There was a lot of cleaning to do. One of the cleaning which he was trying to work out in my life was I was driving to work in the city. I worked in the city. There was nowhere to park. It was very hard to find parking. And uh, I just used, to my shame, back as an unsaved person, I used my mum's disabled sticker. Now, I thank God God got, God got a hold of me before current affair. <laughs> I mean that with all my heart. Thank God that he showed grace. Because you know, God gently shows you your sin. And that's how God does it, right? He shows you. He says, and you need to obey. And you understand that if you don't, he'll chasten you. But he did. One day I was just, you know, I was parking. And I, with a disabled sticker, you can park, uh, you know, even anywhere for about four hours without pay. And uh, four hours is a long time. And I just had to go and drop off something, go up and come down. And, you know, and, and so it was just easy. And so my mom let me. But one time I was sitting the Holy Spirit of God didn't let me. And I looked at the disabled sticker and I said, something was wrong. I never, before I was saved, I never looked at it that way. But when I sat down and I looked at the disabled sticker, 
I try to justify it even as a babe in Christ and say, God, you know how much taxes I pay? You know, back then I was earning a lot of money, six figures, you know, God, you know, and I'm thinking, yeah, you know, I'm <laughs> this government is just unfair. And, but the Spirit of God almost, not an audible voice, but conviction. So you're a liar, you're not disabled. And I said, yes, Lord, I'm not. And man, it was a struggle because I didn't let it go straight away. I, I just parked a couple of times after I just let it go. And uh, I tell you something, I parked a couple of times because it did save me some time and I went up and sat at my desk and I was miserable. Not until I made a decision to get rid of it and the Holy Spirit of God can then have its full reign in my life and it wasn't grieved and I got rid of it and I was absolutely joyful again. I didn't care if I had to catch the train and express train from Auburn all the way through the city and that's what I did I parked in Auburn where you can park 15 minute express and by the way along the way I was able to witness and pass out tracks and I was liberated to no end and that's what the Holy Spirit does you might say oh that's not a big deal you didn't kill anybody you didn't murder anybody you didn't rape anybody. no 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 it's a big deal to God I mean how do you how uh, how is a person so sensitive to, to issues like this you know just issues as little as this uh, things you know pop up and who, who brings this to our attention I, I remember my language was I had a very bad foul mouth and when I'd swear after I was saved the Holy Spirit of God would convict me to no end I was like oh no I'm sorry Lord no I've never done that before my conscience will play on me someone else will say that's rude but the Holy Spirit didn't have it he would convict me to no end uh, just recently a lady made a profession she made a profession, she told me about her profession and she said that one of the things that she did just recently, last week, is that she called up her relative and told her relative, please forgive me, I've been blaming you some, for some things. How, how, you know, why was that caught to her attention? How was that caught to her attention? And so the Spirit of God that lives within us points things out as a Christian. We walk in the Spirit, we live in the Spirit, so therefore we walk in the Spirit, so we don't fulfill these fleshly lusts and appetites that we once had. And this is the holiness of God being worked in our lives. And so go to John chapter 8. I want you to see this. John chapter 8. There are many other examples I can give you, but I guess you get the, the gist of what I'm trying to say. Look what Jesus says in eight, John chapter 8, look at verse 31. John 8 verse 31. Then, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. These are true disciples. You are, you are genuine, authentic disciples if you continue in my word. So a genuine the believer is one that holds fast to the word of God, obeys it, practices it, follows through. They are practically sanctified by the word of truth. We can say that. Have a look at verse 32. And you should know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's seed. We were never in bondage to any man. How sayest then you should be made free? And so they didn't understand what Jesus really came to do. But look at verse 34. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but a son abideth forever. What does a father teach his son when he's born again? Well, at least the Holy Spirit of God teaches us through the word of God to lay aside sin. 
He starts working in our lives to get rid of the rubbish that we have in our lives. We, he gives us victory over sin. We can claim that we are Abraham's descendant or have a Christian heritage. You can go to church and do your practices. But if the working of God is not in your life working holiness unto everlasting life, then what kind of son are you? And even if you backslide, the Bible promises that he's a father will come and discipline you. So you can bear fruit again. So you can continue to bear fruit. And if you're not disciplined, and if you're not chastened, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And if you're not chastened, the Bible says, you are bastards. Now that's a big, that's strong language. What does that mean? Illegitimate children. And so thank God for that father and son relationship. That when we get saved, Jesus frees us, puts us in a relationship with God the Father, and he begins to teach us to lay aside sin. And have a holy hatred towards it. And despise it and lay it aside. Amen? Amen? And then he says in verse 36, If the Son therefore shall make you free, look at this, ye shall be free, what? Indeed. You're not only a disciple indeed, but look at this, you're free indeed. That's what a disciple is. He's a genuine disciple, not only continues in the word of God, but he's liberated by the word of God and by Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful thing. You're liberated here today. I'm not talking about struggling with sin. I'm talking about getting victory over sin through the power of God's working in our lives through His Word and His Holy Spirit. Now, there's also a growing separation from worldly pleasures. All right? 1 John 5. Have a look at 1 John 5. All right, we're getting there. We're almost there. 1 John 5. Look at verse 4. For whosoever, look at this, is born, who, for whosoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. For, for uh, sorry, who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. And this belief is believing on the truth with our whole heart. You know, the Apostle Paul said, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom, he says this, the world is crucified under me and I under the world. You know what Paul was saying? Because of the cross, I am dead to the world system and the world system is dead to me. I don't want nothing to do with it. I want to be an overcomer in Christ. And that's what God, even our faith in Christ helps us be overcomers. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen. Even though you have these false teachers that are proclaiming that grace, you know, gives you license to sin, turn in the grace of God into lasciviousness, uh, you won't have it. And you're not going to fall for that trap. Greater is he that is in you. And by the way, that's why false teachers do this. So they can stunt your growth and so you can be barren and fruitless. But thank God that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Our teacher through the word of God, teaching us the right things of God. Amen. We're crucified with Christ. We, and we don't want anything to do with it. The world is crucified under me. And I'm the world. The world's system, pleasures, lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. We don't want it. And this is the kind of fruit that God wants to have in our life. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> Galatians 5, have a look at verses uh, 22. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such thing there is no law. Look at verse 24. And they that are Christ have what? Crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now this leads us to the next point. Not only holiness, which is one of the greatest attributes of God, but another attribute of God is love. They're inseparable. One is not on the expense of another. And these things, these fruits need to be worked in our lives as Christians. Amen. Have a look at uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 5. The fruit of love. Not only holiness, but love. Just want to touch on these two today. Have a look at this. The second part. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by what? By the Holy Ghost which is given to us. The love of God is shed abroad. It's, it's poured in. It fills our hearts with the love of God. It's the fruit of the Spirit in our hearts. And so we ought to have that controlling our life. The first fruit of the Spirit is love. 1 Corinthians 13 is the definition of love. Over here, the cross is the greatest demonstration of love. And the power to, to actually live it out is through the Spirit of God. And so the first fruit that we should have, or one of the fruits that we can have, is a loving, growing love for God's people. This is, this is evidence of our salvation. Have a look at 1 John 3. Look at 1 John chapter number 3. After a person believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, there must be a continued desire from the Spirit of God to love what God loves. And God loves people, especially the household of faith. Amen. 1 John 3, look at verse 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because what? We love the brethren. We've passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in what? death. Whoso hateth his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer have eternal life abiding in him. Now do you struggle with forgiveness? But ultimately you're going to get the, you're going to get the victory. But if you're going to continue uh, have hate and bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart toward your brother then there's something wrong with that soil. Do you agree? There's something wrong, uh, terribly wrong, if you don't come to the point of victory and saying, you know what, I'm a Christian, the Spirit of God's been telling me to forgive, and I've delayed it too long, by the way, that causes backsliding, and I'm not going to do it. I'm going to submit myself or yield myself to God and forgive my brother. 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God, and look at, knoweth God. What a mark. A growing love not only for people, but also for the Lord. Have a look at 1 John 5. These go hand in hand. You cannot say you love God and you don't love your brother. And you can't say you love your brother, but you don't love God. How many people do you hear today and say, oh, I love my neighbor as myself, but they really love God. They miss the first commandment. And sometimes Christians say, oh yeah, I love God, but they miss the second commandment. These are two golden commandments that God wants us to live out. These are the fruit, if you will, of a person that's saved and being perfected in our lives. 
1 John 5, look at verse 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him is begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we are the children of God. How? When we love God. When we love God and keep his commandments, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. As a matter of fact, they're a pleasure. They're not a burdensome. Uh, they're not a stumbling block. Difficult to execute at times, yes. Thank God for the grace of God and the working of God in our hearts. But they're not so like the stony ground. I won't know. I'm a no. There's a big difference. Now, why do some Christians stop bearing fruit like they used to? What's the cause? Because I believe that it could take place. Well, I want to get as we close Second Peter. Get your attention to Second Peter chapter one. I'm talking about genuine Christians here. I'm not talking about the stony ground. I'm not talking about the one that is offended by the word. I'm talking about a genuine Christian. Why is the genuine Christian stunted in his growth? Why does he stop growing and producing fruit, which can happen? Have a look at verse Second uh, Peter chapter one verse three. 2 Peter chapter 1, look at verse 3. According as the divine power hath given unto, all, uh, unto us all things, but that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped, praise God, the corruption that is in the world through lust, and besides this, giving all diligence. Look at this. He's saying to us as Christians, this is our disposition. God has delivered us from worldly lust and so forth. He's given us the divine nature, precious promises that we can claim and so forth. But there's still uh, a responsibility on our part to add to our faith. What? What's number one? Virtue. Virtue, knowledge. Knowledge, temperance. All these, uh, can I just say, almost depict the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit of God teaches us, the power of God helps, the fruit of the, the, see when the fruit of the Spirit, God is just saying, this is the fruit of the Spirit. This is it. And the Spirit of God, if we walk in it, will produce these fruits, but we still need to say, yes, Lord, and yield and add to these things and have them worked in our lives, okay? With pa perseverance and patience as, as we grow, we add these things. With all diligence. We can't be indifferent about this. We, we, we must be diligent. Okay, have a look. What does God want us to be diligent in regarding our faith? Don't miss it. Because these are several things that God will help us understand that this is what makes a person fruitful and unbarren and lacking nothing and will not at the end of it fall. This is the very thing that God wants us to have in our lives. And as you go through these, we have to say, do I have these things in my life? If I don't, I need to add them. How? By obeying. By keeping. Okay, let's have a look. Virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, charity. Look at this in verse 8. For if these, if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye should never be what? Barren, nor unfruitful. Look at this. In the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, if there's anything that you need to get 
It's these virtues here. And work on them. And have them worked in your heart by God. And understand, and this is the heart of Jesus Christ. This is the heart of God right here. You should, what, what, we should not be barren. What's, what's that? Well, to be barren is simply to, have, to be inactive. No production. It's to be barren. Nothing's taking place. No fruit bearing. And so if we want to be fruit bearing, if we want production to happen, if we want to be active and growing as disciples, uh, if with what, what God intended us to be with, then we need to add these things in our lives. And then have a look what, he, what else he says in, in verse 9. But he that lacketh these things, if you don't have these things in your life, what are you? Blind? And you cannot see afar off. In other words, you're, you're short-sighted. You cannot see the way you used to see. Perhaps... You're not setting your affections on things above. You're, you're, you've been short-sighted now. Uh, look at this. You have, look at this. And have forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wow. Has forgotten. I like what one man of God said regarding this. Failure to persevere in the development of Christian character leads to barrenness, unfruitfulness, blindness, short-sightedness, and forgetfulness. Can we say that this is perhaps how backsliding feels like? Yes. Drifting? What does it mean to add to our faith? And if we add these to our faith, what do we have? Verse 10, Wherefore, the rather, brethren, giving diligence to make your calling and election sure, if ye do these things, ye shall never what? For I've forgotten that I, what I've been purged from my sin. How come that's a factor? Why does my redemption play a big part in this? It does. You forget this, brethren, you forgot, you, you've forgotten the very source or essence of your salvation. God has redeemed us from, from destruction, from sin to salvation, from death to life, from darkness to light, from hell to holiness, not only heaven, but holiness, which is leading us to heaven. It's the fruit, the character of a person. God zooms in at and focuses on this is the fruit of the Spirit. This is the fruit of Christ's likeness. This is the development that needs to take place. A hatred for sin and a love for God and His Word and God's people. Now, to add to our faith, can I just simply sum it up with this? Simply means to obey, to have these in our lives. Virtue, knowledge, temperance, and all these other things, brotherly kindness, godliness, to, to have them in our lives, we need to obey them. We need to embrace them. Because if you go back to Luke chapter 8, verse 15, you know what the key word you find in there that produces fruit? We have the hearing, but one thing is lacking, the doing. And you see that time and time, go back to Luke chapter 15, uh, 8, verse 15. Time and time again in scripture, we see this take place. The difference between the, a wise builder and a foolish builder was what? One heard 
and did not do. And as Christians, when we keep the word of God right from the beginning, we obey it. That means to believe on it, to obey it, to keep it. And so to keep the very thing that God has given to us. We're saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works. So to keep is to obey. And obey the gospel leads us to other areas of our Christian life of development that God wants us to keep. And this is to live in holiness. And this is to live in love. And adding these virtues in our life. So keep is, this is a very important word. To obey, to keep. Now, Jesus actually strengthens this in, in, in uh, verse 19. Have a look. Drop it down to verse 19. Then came to him his mother and his brethren and could not come at him for the press. And he was told by, by sorry, it was told him by certain which said, Thy mother and thy brethren stand without desiring to see thee. And look, look what he says. And he answered and said, to them, my, my mother and my brethren are those which hear the word of God. And what's that word? Do. It's all throughout the scripture. Now, it's not saying do to get to heaven. It's saying do or obey or believe on the word of God. So if God's telling you the only way to heaven is through his son, you believe that. And so that belief turns into obedience only because we see uh, Abraham obeyed God through faith. God said to Abraham, take Isaac, and he took Isaac. There's the demonstration of faith. It's obedience, isn't it? And so if we believe, we're going to obey. And if we obey, then we'll believe. And so do is very important. The word keep or do or hold or embrace to lay hold of. And so it's very important we understand that we don't let these slip in our lives. What happened to uh, those that let them slip? What happens to those that simply do not uh, follow through as believers? You, have, you been, have you been there before? As a believer, when you don't do what you're supposed to do, as a child of God, what happens to you? There's not only a sense of dissatisfaction in your heart, but you know your growth has it's, it's, it's not happening anymore. You know something's taking place. Your, your, your holiness somehow is compromised. Listen, your love somehow is compromised. I love what the psalmist said. Go to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. You know Psalm 1, it's one of, your, one of the favourite passages amongst Christians. Psalm 1, Psalm 23. <clears throat> Psalm 1, you perhaps know it off by heart. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the what? Counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But where's his delight? But his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law doth he meditate what? Day and night. Why does he meditate on the word of God so he could do it? There's no use memorising scripture if you're not going to live it out. You be, it's just a ritual. It's just something that you pride yourself in. That you, no, you meditate upon the Word of God so you can live it out. You, you, you study Scripture so you can live it out. And so the, the, the delight in the Word of God is so you can live it out. And what happens when you do that? You meditate. What happens? What's the result of that? 
What's the result of obeying or keeping or upholding the word of God? Have a look at verse 3. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Look at this. That bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth shall what? Prosper. Some bring forth fruit. 30, 60, 100. Your fruit. What God's doing in your life. Is there any fruit? In your life, it comes as a result of meditating on the Word of God and growing and loving the Word of God and obeying the Word of God. Walking in the Word of God. What's the contrast between these people and those people that don't? Have a look at the next verse. But the ungodly are not what? What are they? Chaff in the wind. Bye-bye. Nothing. Dust. God wants us to be fruitful, bearing fruit. And I think if we do not bear fruit because of our lack of obedience to the word of God, to be holy and loving, then it's, listen, it's a reflection with our walk with Jesus Christ. John chapter 15, turn there quickly. We're almost done. John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Look at verse 4. Jesus said, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same shall bring forth, look at this, much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. For if any man abideth not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burnt. And you know when you're abiding Christ, you know what he's going to teach you? Those virtues that we see in 2 Peter chapter 1. And if these things are not in your life, or they're not being added or kept or obeyed or enhanced or development is taking place in these areas, then you are good for nothing. Can you imagine being a good-for-nothing Christian? I'm not talking about a good... I'm talking about a true Christian. I'm not talking about the stony ground. Because Christian, God wants us to bear fruit. And if you look later on in verse... Well, look at verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified. How? That ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. The whole purpose of bearing fruit is to bring God glory. That's the whole, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You're not trying to have a mission statement. It it, it becomes you. In other words, Jesus is not saying, do all this so you can shine and give me glory. He says, don't let no one hinder your light. Don't put her under a bushel. You are light. Live up, walk in the light. It will produce Walk or abide in Christ, walk in the Spirit, it will take place. The very things that hinder the work of God in our life is fear, doubt, and a lack of obedience. Don't hide it under a bushel. Uh, don't put it under a bed. Listen, if it's, he goes on to say, if the salt has lost its savour, it's what? It's good for nothing, but to be trotted upon. And so we don't want to be good for nothing Christians, amen. We want to be salty Christians. 
to be salty Christians is to maintain, as you have received the Lord Jesus, walk also ye in him. Our relationship with Christ abiding in him is so important. And Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. And if you, if you keep my commandments, the love of the Father will be abiding in you. It's the only way we can bear fruit. And so first of all, let me say this before I close. Have you ever bore fruit of holiness and this true love that we see or it hasn't been in your life? You don't, you, 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 there's no evidence of what you just heard. Are you saved? If you were to die today, do you know for sure that you'd be with the Lord? And not only this, but is there a desire in your heart that comes from God for the things of God that only God can put there? Christian, you say, I'm, I'm the good soil. And I understand that it's nothing of me that I'm saved. It's all of God and I understand that I receive it, I understand that, and I embrace it, I believe in it, I keep it, I uphold it. And God has worked in my life more than just water baptism. He's, warding, he's working out things and working in things. But I don't want my growth to be stunted. Has your growth been stunted? Is there something taking place in your life? Maybe your relationship with God is not what it ought to be. And you say, no, I'm walking with the Lord. I have sweet fellowship with Christ. As a matter of fact, just before I came here today, my walk with the Lord is sweet. God knows we're walking, we're together. Well, I want to encourage you. Don't let anything hinder that. Keep walking with the Lord. Let the Lord keep showing you things. Say, yes, Lord, like you first started as a babe in Christ. Say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. No. Yes, obey, follow after your master. Because you just want to be like him, to live like him, to the glory of the Father. Nothing more, nothing less. Let's pray.